This is the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, a hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of your word and, and the wonder that death has been reversed, has been defeated by our Savior. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would use your word to form hope in us, that we would be a, hope, a people of deep hope, and uh, our hope would be the source of, of joy and strength and endurance for us. And I pray that you'd encourage your people here this morning, um, encourage them with the wonder of how good you are, how good your plans are, and uh, that they would know how loved they are by you. And so uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be here with you all this uh, Easter Sunday. And Easter is uh, one of the central days in the, in the church uh, calendar because it's the day that marks the Christian hope. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is the topic of hope. And I think we often underestimate how important hope is in human life. So just, you know, take for example, if, if any of you have started a business before, you know, and you, you give so much to a business, you pour your life into it, and you, you, you're up late at night, and you, you have anxiety about it, and you work hard, and you say, where does all that energy come from that goes into that, into that business? Well, it's because you have some picture in the future of the thing that you're building, there's a vision of the future, and that's what hope is about. Hope is always looking towards what's in the future. Uh, and so all your work, all your creativity, all your energy finds its source in hope. Or take, for example, if you have a, a struggling marriage, why do you get help with your marriage or read a marriage book or you know, do marriage exercises or work through your fights? It's because you say, I have hope for us. And of course, if you lose hope in a marriage, what happens when the hope is gone? You just emotionally shut down, you become roommates, and, uh, and eventually the marriage ends. You stop working on the marriage without hope. And uh, this applies to everything in life. The thing that gets us up in the morning is that there is hope for something in the future. Actually, uh, you know, some psychologists have almost defined depression as a, lo a loss of hope. You know, why get up in the morning? 
If there's no desire, there's nothing that I desire, it's something that I see in the future that I'm working towards, why get up? And so desire and hope are closely tied together because they're both anticipating something in the future. You can't be a fully alive human without hope. And the question for you and for me this Easter is, what is the hope that is at the very center of our existence that is driving everything about our life? What hope is that for you and me? Do you have a hope like that? I don't mean a small hope of like, you know, I hope I get a raise or, or I hope that girl will go out on a date with me. I mean a person-defining hope that shapes everything about who I am at the deepest level. Well, this passage I just read to you from Romans 8 is a, a short description of the Christian hope. And you see that hope is the topic in those final two verses in verse 24 where it says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Five times the word hope is mentioned there in just those two verses. And I will tell you, I promise you, there is no hope anywhere in the world that comes even close to the magnitude and power of the hope that is offered in the truth of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God from the dead. And so today, I want to explain what that hope is, that God wants all of you to have living in your heart and driving your whole life. And to, and to explain that, I just want to answer three questions for us from this passage in Romans 8, and this is what they are. Who needs hope? What is the hope? And how does that hope then shape how we live? Okay? Who needs the hope? What is the hope? And how does that hope shape how we live? And I, I really hope that Romans 8 is a blessing and encouragement to all of you this morning. So, three questions for us. The first one is this. Who needs hope? And of course, we'd say, well, everybody needs hope, right? Does everyone need hope? Well, there's two ways that Paul describes in this passage who needs hope. And the first answer to that question is, who needs hope? All those who are suffering. Hope God gives to those who are suffering. And uh, you see how this passage begins in verse 18 where it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so Paul sets up this whole passage by comparing the future hope with our present sufferings. And they're kind of compared. They're put in the balances, right? And which means that if you're here today and you are suffering, if you're suffering physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, the Bible says the thing that you need most is hope. You need a counterpoint, a counterbalance to weigh against what you are experiencing right now. And you need to weigh the two things and find that the hope is way bigger. Because suffering takes courage, it takes perseverance and endurance. And when your suffering feels pointless and it just erodes your personhood of who you are and it just wears you down, your suffering is some of the most important work that God will call you to in your life, and you won't be able to endure it without hope. Okay, so the first answer to who needs the hope is, is God has a special care for the suffering, and he wants them to have hope. But uh, it's not like the suffering are just some special class among us. 
because we all, in our own ways, experience the suffering of this life. So more broadly, Paul answers that question of who, who needs the hope by saying all those who live in the present age. Who needs the hope is all those who live in the present age. And why, why do I say it like that, live in the present age? Well, you, look again at verse 18 where it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that it's to be revealed to us. And that language of the, this present time or this present age is another way the, the Bible talks about it. It's, it. Basically, the Bible says that human history is divided into two ages. There's this present evil age, and then there's the age to come. And we're living in the present evil age, which the Bible says is under a curse. And you may not know that, that you're living in a world that's under a curse, but that's actually important information uh, that explains some of the things that we experience. I'll give you an example of this. Um, there was a, a couple that was in our church many years ago, uh, Randy and Claire Williams. And uh, Randy was a uh, Christian counselor here in town. I mean, he helped hundreds of people in our community. He was a beloved man. And his wife, Claire, was a kindergarten teacher. And you imagine how many people love kindergarten teachers and had been, you know, their lives, for decades, she was a kindergarten teacher. I mean, so this couple was absolutely beloved. And uh, Claire, for many years, struggled with uh, uh, liver problems. And she eventually died of sepsis. And in the final days, in the darkest days, as Randy was watching his uh, his wife gets sicker and sicker. The, probably the, the, the worst blow came just a few weeks before she died when she was taken off the liver transplant list. So their, their final hope for her to be saved was taken away. The same day, just a few hours later, his doctor calls him and tells him that he's been diagnosed with lung cancer himself. And he dies just a couple years later. And some of you have experienced that, where you say, I got to the lowest that I thought I could get to. It felt like the Lord had stripped everything away. I was at the bottom, and then I got hit again on top of it. And you say, how is that even possible? How does that even happen to anyone? That you get hit harder and harder and harder as you're going down. Well, um, I think there's some comfort in having an explanation that in this age we are living under a curse. You might not even be doing anything wrong. I'm not sure. I don't think Claire or Randy did anything wrong. It's that they're living under the cursed world. And just having that knowledge, it's kind of like when you have an undiagnosed kind of chronic disease and you just don't know what it is. You're just in pain. And when it finally gets diagnosed, even if there's not a cure, there's at least some comfort saying, finally, I know what this is. That's what it is. We are living in the present evil age we're living under a curse, and anyone living under that needs hope. And so the Apostle Paul says that the people who need hope are those who are suffering under the curse of the present evil age. And when you weigh all the suffering that happens in this broken world, what hope could possibly outweigh the suffering that you and I and the billions of people in the world endure in this world? Well, that's the second answer. That we'll be looking to the, to, uh, that's the answer to the second question we'll be looking at this morning. So first, who needs the hope is those who are suffering in the present evil age. But second, what is the hope? What is the hope that God offers to human beings? What hope can match the terrible suffering of the world? And, and before I 
answer that, I want to just explain one thing. Uh, just my wife and I, just this last week, we were on vacation for a week together. We got to go to the two of us to Mexico. We spent a lot of time reading, and uh, the book that I read was the seventh book in the Harry Potter series. It's very moving experience. And I know uh, a lot of the, uh, some Christians don't like Harry Potter because it talks about magic and wizards and, and witches and things like that. But when you get to the seventh book, you find out that these are Christian stories. And even if you don't know the stories, I'll just tell you one scene that one of the most moving scenes is when Harry Potter, the main character, comes to the gravestone of his parents who had been killed when he was a child, and he'd never been to the gravestone. And this is what it says on the gravestone. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And if you know the Bible, that's a quote from 1 Corinthians 15. The greatest chapter in the whole Bible explaining the meaning of Easter. And actually that, that line is repeated throughout book 7 and said this is book 7. This is what it's about is that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's about the gospel. And actually, if you read the story, you know Harry Potter's mother like sacrificed herself for him and she spreads out her arms like on the cross. And Harry Potter himself, the chosen one, dies for his friends at the hands of the dark Lord and then he's raised from the dead. This is a story that is supposed to emotionally awaken us to the true story that we are all living in of this world. Because guess what? There is a real chosen one. There is a chosen one who, for centuries, there were prophecies written about him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the true King of the world. And he didn't just sacrifice himself for his friends. He sacrificed himself for the, all the nations of the world and all the people groups. And he conquered death in the resurrection. And you know, Harry goes looking for the resurrection stone. Jesus is the resurrection stone. And some of you might hear that and say, this is a children's story about magic. Why have hundreds of millions of people read those stories and said there's something in them that resonates deeply with them? There's something that rings true. It's because Harry Potter is a world with dark magic and good magic. You are living in a world of dark magic and good magic. There is dark magic at work in you and me. Why do we say and do things that we regret so deeply? Why do we hurt people we love? There is a dark force in us that we can't control, we can't get rid of, and it wants to defile us and destroy us. And yet, there's also a good magic at work in Jesus Christ. Who doesn't read the Gospels about Jesus healing the blind and raising the dead and casting out demons and saying, there's a good magic in him. And, uh, and you know, Jesus, he's not like a witch doctor or like a pagan wizard or something who's trying to get power and trying to, you know, get rich and get pleasure and stuff like that. It's a magic of love. And even here, you come here, and people's bodies are washed with the waters of baptism. And if they believe, all the sins they've ever done in the past and they'll ever do in the future are forgiven in an instant. That is the good magic of love. Or you come to this table every week, and if you eat this bread and wine believing you are eating the flesh and blood of a God, you will live forever. And this good magic makes you a loyal friend. It makes you sacrifice for the good of others. That is the real story that we are living in. And when you realize that we're living in a story with dark magic and good magic, then you can ask the question, what's the hope? 
What is the good magic that will be unleashed in the world? And well, this passage says that there are two things that are going to happen. Two things that are going to happen that are coming in the future. You know, our hope is set on the future. These are the two things. This is what they are. First, the creation is going to be set free. Nature, you know, I said we all were living under a curse. Nature is going to be set free from the curse. And I know that sounds wild. It's a beautiful statement. But you see those words there in verse 19 where it says, for the creation waits. I love that thought. What does that mean? The creation waits. The creation is like all the oak trees in the, in the red rock canyons in Utah or the monkeys in the Congo or the clouds and the moon and the humpback whales. They are all waiting. They are waiting. They have hope. And what are they waiting for? Well, I'm not even sure what this means, but I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so what's the creation waiting for? The answer is it's waiting to be set free. Being, it's waiting for the, the spell to be broken. And basically what the Bible says is that, you know, nature was meant to be under our care. Humans were made in the image of God, and we uh, are supposed to be extending God's rule over nature itself. And yet because of human sin, you know, greed and arrogance and selfishness and bitterness and lust and our refusal to glorify God, we subjugate not just fellow humans, but all of nature. And so we are the source of nature's curse. And so there's coming a time when nature will be set free from the curse. What will that be like? Well, we don't have a lot of answers to that. But one answer that the Bible says is that on Easter morning, when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he was the first fruits of the new creation. So whatever is going to happen in the future has begun as like a preview, as a, as a foretaste in Jesus Christ. And you look at Jesus when he's raised from the dead and he's healed and he's alive and he's laughing and he's feasting with his friends and he's forgiving his disciples, forgiving people and welcoming them. And he's radiant and he is just a small taste of what will happen to all of nature. It won't just happen in one man. It will happen to all things. All things will be made new. So what's the hope? Is that nature will be set free from the curse. Now you might say, well, wow, that'll be great when that happens. But I'll probably be long dead by the time whenever God plans to do that. And, you know, if I'm a Christian, my soul is going to be off in heaven. I'll be floating around my soul somewhere. But I'm not going to be a part of the oak trees and the humpback whales and whatever they're waiting for. Not true. The hope gets better. And that's the second part of the hope. is not only that the creation will be set free, but second, that our bodies will be set free. Our bodies will be set free. This is, look at verse 23, what it says. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And that's the strange thing about the Easter story that you have to know is that when Jesus came back from the dead, it wasn't his soul that came back from the dead. 
It was his body. Death was reversed. This is a very important point. And uh, the, the Bible says that if you are in Christ by faith, what God did, already did once for Jesus when he raised his body from the dead, he will do for, for God's people, all that are in Christ as well. And so the hope is about your whole person being healed. And why, why does it have to include your body? You think of all the emotional scars, all the destruction of cancer or disease, all the trauma, all the age and injury, all of that is stored in your body. And the healing of your whole person can only happen if it is both your soul and your body. And so you notice the language that Paul uses. He talks about the redemption of our bodies. What does that mean? Well, in the ancient world, redemption is, is you redeemed a slave out of, out of slavery. You bought them out of slavery. And so this is saying that right now our bodies are slaves. Our bodies have a master that we cannot say no to. What is the master that our bodies have? Well, there's two of them. There's death and sin. You can't say no to death. You feel the decay happening in your body. It's coming whether you want it or not. You can't say no to it. And you also can't say no to sin. You know, my wife and I, I mentioned we just went on vacation, and some of you might think, gosh, I need a vacation. I need to get, get away from all my problems. I'm going to go on vacation, and I'll just be away from it all. And my wife and I always met, you know, laugh about how whenever we go on vacation, we can't get away from our biggest problem. You know what my biggest problem is? The thing that causes me stress more than anything? Moi. <laughs> me. <laughs> i got to take me with me on vacation. Because I can't say no to sin. It's in my body, and I had to bring it with me to, when I went to Mexico. And it will always taint everything. True rest, true peace will only come if my body doesn't have sin or death anymore. What if you could live in a renewed world with a body with no sin or death? What if you could actually love God with your whole heart and just and love people with your whole heart? You didn't criticize them all the time and you actually knew the right words to say to encourage them and build them up and you could build and you could laugh and you could feast with people and you could keep your mind focused on how amazing God is. Don't we feel somehow that we were all made for that and yet we've never experienced it? Easter is saying that in Jesus Christ, you will. You will at last experience what you were made for. Now, if this is new information to you and you think, wow, this, this sounds beautiful, but I can't believe in something so fantastic. You know, the renewal of nature, resurrected bodies living in a renewed earth with, in God's presence without sin or death for endless ages. I, it's just too good. It's too good to be true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is daring you to let your heart have hope. This is supposed to be the person defining hope. It's bigger than any other hope. And it's always safe to not hope. Our culture is so cynical. You know, it's how we protect ourselves from disappointment. And I'm not going to let myself hope. I'm not going to believe in something that good. But let me ask you this. If there really is a God who is all-loving and all-powerful, would he do anything less than this? No, he wouldn't. And the Bible says he isn't going to do anything less than this. This is what his word assures us, promises us that he will. And so we've uh, seen so far who needs the hope. It's the suffering and all of us who are living in the curse of this present evil age. 
And what is the hope is the wild promise that in Jesus Christ, nature itself will be set free and our bodies will be redeemed to live in a new creation for endless ages in God's presence with hearts filled with love. And Easter was only the beginning. It's the first fruits. It's already begun in Jesus. And so if you have that kind of hope living in you, then that leads to our last question. How does it then shape how we live? Probably countless ways. But, you know, our lives are, are shaped by the past and by the future. You know, we all have these memories of our childhood and experiences we have. And all those memories that are inside of us inform how we talk and how we make decisions and how we behave right now is shaped by our past. And there's an author who says that hope is basically a memory of the future. It's like we have these memories of the past and we have this memory of the future of what's coming. And they're both coming together to shape who we are. So when the hope of Easter lives in us as a memory, how does it shape how we live? Well, the main answer of this passage is we learn to wait. When hope is living in you, you learn to wait. The creation is waiting, and we wait too. You see that in the final verse there, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So much of life is about being willing to wait. Um, you know, actually, my wife and I were just watching a Netflix documentary about uh, Tony Robbins. He's, a, he's like a motivational speaker, and he does these conferences, and they had these, you know, inside footage into one of his conferences, and I, I don't agree with a lot with, of what Tony Robbins says, but there's this one scene where he's talking to this man who's just been sabotaging his life for years, and he says to the man, you can do far less than you think you can in one year, but far more in 20 or 30 years you need to give things time to develop. And basically what he's saying to the man is you need to learn to wait. You're sabotaging things before they even have a chance to blossom. And my experience is that God is constantly making me learn to wait on him. And how does Easter shape our lives is we become people who know how to wait. We're willing to wait for God to work in our own lives. We're willing to wait for God to work in our marriage, to work in our children, to work in our church or in our workplace. We wait through whatever suffering God has appointed for us. We wait and we pray knowing some things are going to be healed in this life. Whatever isn't healed in this life will be healed in the life to come. Hope enables us to wait. And Paul says in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, he says, there is a truth that you and I cannot see, but it is nonetheless real. And what is the thing that we can't see? Is that Jesus is alive. His body is in heaven. And he has promised that he will be with us to the end of the present evil age. And he will come again to make all things new. And none of this we can see, but it is our hope. You can't, if you saw it, it wouldn't be hope. Hope is things that you can't see. And so friends, the Lord calls you today to hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To you who are suffering, to you who feel the curse upon your life, hope in him and wait for him. Because one day you and me and all of nature will at last be set free. Praise be to God. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for this tremendous hope. It is our treasure. And Lord, we will walk through whatever suffering you appoint for us. We will wait patiently because we believe that Jesus is alive. We believe that the new world has already begun in him. And we believe that we have a share in it. And Lord, may this hope be so alive in us that it drives everything that we do, that we would love the people in our lives, that we would be patient and gentle and kind. We would encourage others. And we would see your hand at work in the world around us. And so Lord, we love you. And we praise you today in Jesus' name.